Welcome to the Mac Gamecast, episode 42. I'm John Carr, as always, and with me today is Casper. How are you, sir? Awesome. Doing really well. So, yeah, it's all good. Fantastic. Yeah, we're grabbing a weekend show here. Um, you're about to get pretty busy yourself, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, being an iOS dev, that's fun. Yeah, I've got my uh, a full-time gig now as an iOS developer, so, uh, yeah, Very there's that. exciting. Well, it's funny now it can be like, in today's developer interview, Casper. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, that'll be fun. Yeah, uh, so today's show, we have uh, a couple notes to go over in terms of some upcoming uh, Apple events, hardware, some game releases that are confirmed coming to Mac that are cool. We've mentioned them before, but now a little more confirmed. And then we'll have a big topic, um, like the main topic of the show surrounding Baldur's Gate 3 and standards of uh, game development, game quality on release, and player satisfaction, all this kind of stuff will be the main topic. Um, Why don't you run us down with the uh, Apple events you had in mind? Yeah, so um, on the 12th of September, uh, it's been announced that Apple is doing the annual September event uh, where they, you know, released uh, or announced the new iPhones uh, this year, uh, iPhone 15 and 15 Pro. We usually also see uh, Apple Watches at the same event. Um, There's some expectation that iPads might also show up, maybe a HomePod, you know, it's a bit uncertain what else happens. The iPhone is, you know set in stone that happens every September, but the rest of the stuff can vary a little. Sure. Um, It's probably not too directly relevant to Mac gaming um, or Macs or gaming, (laughs) Um, or at least, you know, they they might show an iPhone game, but, you you know, it's not really uh, the same space. Um, But the event is called Wonderlust, um, as I said, 12th of September. And the the one thing that could be rather cool from a Mac gaming perspective is that we will see the um, A17 chip, uh, presumably just in the iPhone 15 Pro. But that could give some indication of the type of CPU and GPU core we could expect from a future M3 chip. Um, Maybe there's going to be like confirmation of ray tracing being in that generation of GPU at that event and stuff like that. So there's some cool things for uh, the future of Mac gaming there, but mostly it's an iPhone event. Um, I expect we'll see more about the the direct Mac-related stuff in an October event as well, where they've previously done the MacBook Air and stuff. So M3 could happen then. Um. Are we are we already at peak M2? Do we already have like M2 Max Ultra Pro, whatever? Yeah, all, all the M2s have come out. They've they've said officially that we've seen the last of the M2. Okay, all right, that's what I was curious about. Yeah, uh, when yeah. they released the uh, Mac Pro and Mac Studio with the M2 Ultra, they said that rounds out the M2 lineup or something to that effect. So right, right, it's confirmed right, okay, that yes. there's not an M2 Extreme or anything like that. <laughs> I do remember that now that you say it. Yeah, I mean, the computers, let's, we can dip our toes into that discussion a little bit um, because that's that's the events and, again, future of my gaming. So Apple still seems to be putting money into game releases. You know, we had, um, uh, what's his name, Hideo Kojima confirm his next, his future games. I mean, it only, is only known when it's Death Stranding 2 will mm-hmm. be coming to the Mac. I don't know if they have a contract, X many games, X many years, or he's just going to do it because he likes it. I don't know. That's hard to say, but we'll yeah. see. Um, uh, Starfield, of course, is out. No Mac release, but uh, you had commented before the show, maybe through the game GPT game porting toolkit. 
or something. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if it's possible to play uh, Starfield yet on a Mac through any of the you know parallels, game porting toolkit, right. anything like that. But it is a, a big release, noteworthy, might be playable on a Mac one day. And yeah, it's still using their old what is it called? Uh, I forget the name of their engine, Bethesda's engine, their custom engine, but. Wasn't it called? I don't know if this was like years prior, but wasn't it called Eden at some point or something? Creation Engine. No, Creation Engine. Called. That's right. Close. That's right. You think Eden Creation? That's pretty linked. Uh, I googled that. I didn't know it offhand. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's released a pretty good acclaim overall. People have complained kind of about a slow start and some janky combat. Janky mm. combat's a signature of Bethesda, in my opinion. Well, jank in general, right? <laughs> yeah, apparently it's the least buggy Bethesda game release, though, which is interesting. Uh, low very bar. Very buggy. <laughs> yes, very buggy, but like people are like marveling, like, wow, this is not as buggy. I mean, everything's relative, right? So it's pretty yeah, yeah. funny. Um, That's I, nice, though. Yeah, I'd pre-ordered it, then I canceled my pre-order because I have too many games to play. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad I did. Otherwise, I'd be trying to play it right now when I might be playing a bunch of other stuff like Baldur's yeah. Gate 3. Speaking of Baldur's Gate 3, still coming to Mac. Um, purportedly on September 6th, though I heard a little birdie told me that's delayed due to, okay. uh, weirdly, in my opinion, like substantial problems with the Mac port. Which well, that sounds understand. weird given that the early access seems to run fairly well. Right? And yeah. they had a Mac version, I think, what, two weeks after early initial early access like three years yeah, ago something like that it was pretty um, early yeah. uh the mac version was even supposed to release early it was supposed to release mm-hmm. tomorrow and then it got and they even had like really good um optimization for both intel yeah. and apple silicon so and everything. i'm i don't know the details beyond that um but i'm <laughs> i doubt we'll ever get answers but you know like i'm just very curious like what could it be like what what like catastrophic roadblock is there going on that the game can't be released? I know they've been heavily patching the game, but hmm. it's the same engine. Like maybe there's just some weird map bug. Um, because they did release two huge patches, patch one, patch two, of which a lot of people have said this is basically the game did get moved back a month to avoid Starfield. Yeah. So they're like literal thousands of bug fixes and little quality of life stuff they've added is more people have said like, oh, this is the way the game is meant to release. Like. Yeah. Because it was meant to release right around now, originally. But that's um, the the Mac release we're currently expecting on the GSA sixth of September. Yeah, um, that's the same time as the PlayStation and such, right? Yes, fifth or sixth, I forget which. Um, but yeah. apparently, it's even delayed beyond that. Oh, okay. I have heard they're adding more stuff to the game, like new content and new features. But I'm just curious. The Mac port still writes the early access version. You can go and play mm. it, like the absolute latest early access version and that runs great so like what happened between <laughs> um the the early access version does that also have all the the networking aspects where you can play with other people or uh, yeah, is it yeah. only solo okay yeah, yeah. i was thinking maybe it was something to do with that but i guess right. if that's already in there as well then yeah i don't know i'm just wondering if they made some like big change to their engine for new content or some new pipeline and it doesn't work out. anyway i'm speculating but yeah that's a little odd um but um We'll get more into Baldur's Gate 3 later in our broader topic. Um, there's a couple more games to talk about, or at least one more game, um, which is Lies of P, um, which I believe Casper mentioned before. has a confirmed Mac release now. I did just double check, and it will be a same-day release, apparently. Mm-hmm. Or it said alongside it. I assume that means same day. Yeah, same um, or close with that phrase, yeah, at least. Yeah. Um, which is cool, because currently the only Souls-like game on Mac 
is not very good. I can't remember what it's called. We covered it a year or two we, back. We we talked about it at some point, and I I played it, and I was like, eh, it's a bit meh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I think someone gave me a review code, and I was just like, okay, cool in concept, but execution is very meh. Yeah, very, was that the kind of sci-fi one, right? Yeah, the like yeah, ship yeah. sci-fi something. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I'm not here to berate anyone's hard work. It's just sorry, the end result was only okay-ish, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And other than being novel, like the novelty was, it was the first Souls like on Mac. Not that this game's so amazing, you got to go check it out. So, yeah. by all accounts, I didn't play the demo. I downloaded but never played the demo because it was during a Steam Fest and then it expired or whatever mm-hmm. a while ago. Um, but by all accounts, Lies of P got a lot of buzz. Um, it's like a dark. Oh, wait, the, 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 was the demo temporary? I think so. Unless oh, I'm crazy. Okay. I I played the demo with Game Porting Toolkit, um, and I thought I could just do that like because i only like played for 10 minutes just to test performance with game porting toolkit i didn't realize it was temporary then i would have played more of it because the demo was engaging enough and i was just I mean, i'll do that I later could be wrong i must want to go check that right now i know a lot of the steam fest demos are timed yeah but some of them stick around depending on um the developer mm-hmm. and whatever mm-hmm. but yeah it's honest. uh no it's i'm a... wrong there's, there's still the demo here all right oh that that's good it, it seems like a very promising game and yeah, uh, yeah it, it, the the demo I it, the demo is still Windows only, right? Yeah, um, but you, that, it plays well through Game Porting Toolkit if people want to you know try the demo before they choose to buy it. Right, they want to do it that way. But um, yeah, it seems like a promising game. Um, it does, and to note, they are mentioning Apple Silicon support, no mention of mm-hmm. Intel. So we'll you know it could be another one of those. I think we're moving towards a future where more and more games are going to be like that. And in a way, it's not too big a problem because if you have an Intel machine, you have access to boot camp. So you can still play it that way, but right. yeah, it seems more to or be less. the path. It does. So the only question I have, is it going to be an App Store exclusive type thing or will it also be on Steam? That hasn't been brought up. So right. yeah. we'll find out. But I'm happy the game's coming because it is a little bit of a high profile game. Got a lot of buzz from the previous demos, you know. Game media is excited about it. I haven't played it, but you did. And, you know, it looks cool. So nice. Why not? Um, yeah. And, and the, the reason we mentioned it, or I mentioned it in a prior episode, uh, is because I, I heard rumors that it's going to be the first Mac uh, release to bring ray tracing on a Mac ooh, game. Okay. Um, there is the caveat that we, we don't have any Mac hardware right now where Apple has like touted hard, hardware ray tracing or anything like that. Right. Um, so it it may be like a feature that's technically in there, but won't really show up until we get like an M3 or something like that with ray tracing. It may also just be a, a completely bollocks rumor that doesn't mean anything. Uh, or it may be st- something where they're doing like really, really simplistic, semi-accelerated ray tracing with the hardware that's already there. But I don't know. Yeah, NVIDIA, uh, I think in a couple of weeks, is coming out with a new form of ray tracing as well. Um, what is it called? Because it's for the Phantom Liberty release in like three weeks. Oh, I, weeks. I haven't heard of that. Uh, I got an email about it. Uh, dang it, what's it called? Because I don't want to sound like an idiot more than normal. Uh, this was, that's a different NVIDIA thing. The PC Game Pass thing is now at least partially on GeForce Now as well. We had mentioned it before, and now it's starting to be there. Not the entire catalog, but there's like, bunch of high profile titles i kind of laugh because some of those used to be on gfn back when it was in beta and before anyone complained i'm like 
hey, Doom is here again. And like Total War something. I'm like, this was here like five years ago. Whatever. Yeah, but, it's back. But when GeForce Now was in beta, you could also play literally any game because you could you just could. open you a could. Steam window. Yeah. Oh, come on. Okay, now I have to look this up. Uh, NVIDIA. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me see. What are they calling it? Um, it had a name. Oh, they're calling it, en- oh, I guess Enhanced Ray Tracing with AI. Okay. That's, oh, okay. That's all it is, apparently. Um, I guess descriptive, but it doesn't really... Okay, you know. NVIDIA DLSS 3.5, enhancing ray tracing with AI coming this fall. They don't like two. Oh, so it's part of DLSS. Three and a, okay. So it's coming right. to a couple games in particular. What What's interesting is it'll apparently work with just about any um, NVIDIA GPU, I think. Right, but if it's part of DLSS, then it's going to more be like a performance improvement thing than a... Um, visual enhancement kind of thing yeah sorry yeah basically it's better fps but apparently it's like fairly substantial in some cases um so it's unlike the 40x series where you can't use the new uh frame generation stuff you need a Hmm. 40x uh gpu so that doesn't work but anyway seeing Hmm. as i'm gonna go pretty hard on phantom liberty as soon as it comes out um i was excited hey better frames why not i mean i already get good frames or whatever not a Mac thing, but I just thought it was fun. Well, it, it, in a similar vein, AMD is uh, introducing an equivalent to the DLSS three frame generation thing on on the Radeon GPUs. That's coming oh, they are. Okay. soonish as well. So interesting. Uh, yeah, that's just FSR three frame generation. They just stole right. the naming scheme, basically. <laughs> there was a minor hullabaloo around Starfield going back to that because there is no DLSS for it. Only AMD's yeah. FSR. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't actually know if. Like, is it really a downgrade or is it just because a lot of people have NVIDIA? I mean, in, in general, uh, DLSS does produce slightly better images than FSR. Um, but DLSS is locked to NVIDIA GPUs. FSR can run on any GPU. Right. You still have access to FSR if you have an NVIDIA GPU. I have noticed that, yeah, in my game settings. Right. But but the, the, the big deal is mainly that... Um, Games that are sponsored by NVIDIA, where NVIDIA pumps money into the game development to have all the NVIDIA features in there, tend to also have FSR. Um, And NVIDIA knows that DLSS is the superior image quality, so they're fine with having both technologies in there because it just showcases NVIDIA is better than FSR, right? Sure. Um, But AMD has sponsored part of the development of Starfield to get all the AMD technologies in there. And people are suspecting that the AMD contract says you're only allowed to have FSR in there because it'll show (laughs) us in a bad light if you have both and it looks better with DLSS. I think someone's already modded it in, like DLSS support, because, you know, modders go crazy on Bethesda games. But, yeah, just funny little tech war stuff, the the GPU wars. Yeah. I thought I had one more game I wanted to bring up. Um, I guess it wasn't a game so much as um, it was more like industry stuff. And we'll get to this isn't the big topic, but it's like sort of a minor one. And it was the Bioware blog. I linked oh, right, a that. couple weeks ago and where they were downsizing 50 positions, um, mm-hmm. but not because like things are going well. They were like restructuring and supposedly getting more focused and Things are awesome, basic. Sorry to everyone, but woohoo, everything's great. But, um, you know, companies are always going to say that, even if it's going really poorly, because yeah, you, know, you don't want the exactly. optics of seeming like it's going poorly because that's going to make it go even worse. So, exactly, the optics. Um, yeah. But I thought what was interesting is like 50 isn't a small amount of people. So the question is, and of course, this is speculation, but did they either have like 
really redundant positions and bad management or are they really being forced to trim a lot of fat and like maybe there's too many cooks in the kitchen type of a thing and they yeah. just had to be like look we need only a certain like and this what's interesting is and this does tie into our main topic this blog did come out after the release maybe a week or something of Baldur's Gate 3 and that it just completely blew up the internet like a mil- almost a million people playing it on Steam and that's just on Steam um not GOG and stuff where it was included. <laughs> not a, not the handful of pirates. Certainly <laughs> over a million players with all all together. Um, you know, a huge industry buzz from journalists and developers, more or less. Um, so I wonder if Bioware saw this. And they've, you know, they've been in the frying pan for a while due to uh, Mass Effect Andromeda and then Anthem. Mm-hmm. And Anthem 2.0, which was promising, then got canned by EA. And of course, they're well into developing um, the next Dragon Age, Dragon Age Wolf, something or the other. I forget the name of it. Right. Um, and they're already doing like pre-work, pre-production, or whatever on the next Mass Effect. So I wonder if it's because like a they can't afford another flop. Like maybe the third one kind of sinks them. Certainly their reputation, if nothing else, because it's already kind of low. Yeah, it's not what it used to be, at least. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they're, not, they're not like Blizzard levels because or Activision Blizzard or something, but, yeah. you know, people love Bioware. They just want them to put out a great game again, and they've only put out like okay games the last yeah. few times. Yeah, definitely. Um, and of course, I guess financially, they were both considered flops, I think, Anthem and Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah, um, I, I've always, like, so I played Andromeda way after it initially released. So I had all the patches and fixes and stuff when right. I played it. Uh, I even think I had like an ultimate edition thing with DLC and stuff. Um, but in my opinion, it was a way better game than it got credit for. Uh, and it had a lot more content than most of the Mass Effect games. I think Mass Effect 3 was the biggest and it was you know on par with that maybe. Um, right. But it was significantly bigger than Mass Effect 1 and 2 in at least in the amount of hours I put into it. And I did all the side quests and the mainline right. series as well and stuff. And uh, like, I thought it was a, a really good game. I could see all the flaws that were pointed out in the reviews and stuff. There were still a lot of those present, but I enjoyed it greatly. Um, I didn't enjoy the Dragon Age games past uh, Origins that much, but, you know. Um, but I, I think it's almost a bit of a shame that Andromeda... Um, got such a bad reputation for what it does to Bioware's internal like view of the Mass Effect series because I do think it was kind of an interesting direction that could have been positive if it had just gone slightly smoother in the very beginning. Yeah, I also, I never played it, but I watched a ton of playthroughs, videos, Twitch, YouTube, whatever, and I'm like, you know, this is this definitely this is definitely a different Mass Effect, but it doesn't necessarily seem like a bad Mass Effect. So, yeah, um, maybe you know the collective gamer verse just wanted more of the same. And when they're giving something a bit different, it was like pitchforks. Rawr. Of course, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is like release quality stuff as well. And this, this is worth, and this actually even ties into Larian and Baldur's Gate three. So we can kind of segue into this like quality of game releases, but basically, you know, I'm hopeful for Bioware. They've made some of my favorite games of all time and series of all time. I'm not particularly in love with dragon age. I also didn't really care for it past origins. Yeah. Um, so that's basically going to pass, pass me by, you know, I hope it releases and it's very successful to them, you know, hopefully and everyone's happy. Cool. But I'm like, where's the next mass effect? That's what I want, but mm-hmm. that's probably three, four years out or something. I suspect mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get teased sooner than that, but 
you know, actual releases. But, but it is also interesting because they used to make these really traditional style CRPGs, Bioware, with, you know, yeah. they had the original Baldur's Gate games. And, yep. uh, were they behind Neverwinter as well? I, I think maybe, maybe. they were. Uh, and then, um, you know, the original um, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic and that, that was also pretty yeah. traditional in style. Yeah. Bioware and Obsidian apparently did Neverwinter. Right. Obsidian also yeah. a fantastic studio. Um, yeah. But then, you know, the I think mainly the success of the Mass Effect series sort of traject- or made this trajectory for them into more like action style RPGs. Right. Um, and I think the, the development of the Dragon Age series is of particular interest because that sort of had with Origins that, again, sort of traditional CRPG style thing. And then it failed for them when they tried to turn that into an action RPG. And now Baldur's Gate 3 is developed by someone other than uh, Bioware who made had the series initially. And it's a ma- massive success as a series RPG. So I wonder if Bioware are going to try and return to that style of CRPG now that they're seeing the success of Baldur's Gate again, or if they keep going down the action RPG or just action general route. Anthem was a shooter, wasn't it? I forget what Anthem was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a third person. They, I mean, you could call it basically it was a looter shooter, you know, right, there were yeah. drops, there were rarities, you leveled. Anthem isn't a bad game. It just needed more content, more polish. No. Mm-hmm. Was it a great game? No. Was it kind of two games stuffed in one? You had this like weird first person view going on. Mm-hmm. And then the actual like game game was third person flying around in a cool mech suit. Um, you know, it kind of felt like two games smushed together, but the, you know, by the, by the end of its, you know, what do you call it? Support cycle. It was getting pretty good yeah. and they previewed updates they had planned and everyone was really excited. Everyone who was still playing was really excited. Even the media was viewing it favorably like, Hey, this looks pretty cool. You know, maybe it'll mm-hmm. revive the game. And unfortunately it got pulled. So revive isn't, would it become a smashing success? No, but could it actually like, yeah, you know, stand up off the ground where it fallen over. Probably, mm-hmm. I think so. But, um, but I agree that is like, what is Bioware's compass? Are they? Yeah, do they have a vision they're really sticking to, or are they kind of like going with the winds, so to speak? But if they still have a lot of the talent that was there to make those traditional CRPG style games, I think it could be a really cool style if they had like um, something akin to the Dragon Age series, focus on that CRPG style, and then something akin to Mass Effect, focusing on that action RPG style that Mass Effect did really well. And then doing sort of two simultaneous tracks with uh, that sort of setup. I think that could, you know, both give them a diversity of, of output in a way, but also play to the strengths they've traditionally had. Um, if the studio is still comprised of people with, you know, those talents, you know, things change, but. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure as far as that. Yeah, it's interesting. So with Dragon Age 2, they kind of went full action and mm-hmm. they also shrunk the world down to like one city could- Ken Kirk's whoop, yeah, it, there. it doesn't really matter. Um, but then Dragon Age Inquisition, I think, swung back more in the middle. I think, yeah, it's somewhere in the middle, but still more action RPG than CRPG, I would say. Um, and they also added multiplayer, which, right? I think, or something, maybe, yeah. But but Inquisition felt a bit the same as uh, Mass Effect Andromeda to me. I think it was a fine game, but it it, it had a bit too many. Um, quests that follow in, fall into the Ubisoft trap where it's like, <laughs> you, you know, the, the traditional Ubisoft thing where you climb the same 
God yeah. Tower or whatever, a million times to expand the map and stuff. Right, right. Too many uh, meaningless tasks and stuff all over the place. Um, yeah, so it's so that's interesting. So what's interesting about Larian, you know, we'll, we are jumping more into Baldur's Gate 3, but I want to uh, set the stage a little bit for them. So what's what perhaps some people might forget, because Baldur's Gate 3 has been such a massive success, um, like this on-release thing. So Mass Effect Andromeda, by the time you played it, not a bad game, but it, a lot of its issues have been patched and bugs mm-hmm. and glitches and quality of life. Um, and that's been a conversation that's been kind of building for a number of years because so many of these AAA games are released in very poor states, at yep. least on PC. Maybe they're better on console in some cases. Uh, my experience, it's a little better on console, but there's definitely still release issues. Right. So, you know, it's basically released now, fixed later. You know, a game I can really think of right now is Warhammer 40k Darktide. Smaller studio, more like a double A studio, not triple A, but they're not tiny. You know, they've done Vermintide 1, Vermintide 2. They deal with the Warhammer properties. So they have a big update coming next month with October 4th. Not a Mac game, but it's still related to the conversation. So, and the game was supposed to release November 2020, got released, delayed a year to 21, delayed another year to 2022. So it's been out for almost a year and it released as an early access game, but it's still completely an early access game. Mm-hmm. There's so much content missing and they've done so many patches and they're just now introducing their main class system, which they mm-hmm. even admitted in a blog just the other week. Like this as actually planned before the release, we just couldn't get it together in time. And it's taken them almost a year to implement it. Like it's wild to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so A, Baldur's Gate 3 listed itself as early access cleverly, and it was in there for years. So some people say like, well, they had so much time in early access. But kind of back to Larian. So Divinity 1 and 2, which were their like building blocks to success, like their credentials basically to get the license for Baldur's Gate 3. Um both were Kickstarter games. I backed them both on Kickstarter. Very fond memories of both. Fantastic games. I like Divinity 1 more, but that's an aside. Both are on Mac. They're both great. Solo, co-op, whatever. But Divinity 2 had, in a sense, similar issues to Baldur's Gate 3 and some of these other games. On launch, it was good, but the last two acts of the game were actually rather unfinished. Mm-hmm. It was a four-act game. I don't even know how many. I think Baldur's Gate 3 is a three-act game, but I don't actually know that. I'm still in Act 1. So Act 1 and 2 were, like, super polished, really smooth, like, everything was cool. But then you got to Act 3 and 4, and things were, like, bl- buggy, glitchy. There was, like, dead-end quests and, like, Ooh, yeah. references that were supposed to be there weren't and all this stuff. So then they, like, went into overdrive and fixed all this stuff. So I didn't play it till a year later because the Mac version was super delayed, unlike Divinity 1, which kind of, like, Baldur's Gate had a had a beta version, Mac beta version, so I played the heck out of it. Um and then only much like several months later was like, okay, and act three is now fixed and tidied up. Okay. Now act four. In fact, they completely redid act four, like the finale of the game. Okay. It was apparently really lame. And then they redid it to be like multi-path and cool and account for more choices and options. And so they're actually doing a similar thing now with Baldur's Gate three. A lot of people are complaining about act three. It's everywhere over forums, Reddit, discords, journalists, everyone goes act one and two, like, some of the best RPG stuff ever. You get to Act 3 and it's like, what happened? Okay. Like, did you run out of time, run out of money? There's like crazy amounts of bugs. Again, incomplete quests, abrupt endings that don't make sense. So people are like, WTF? So in the patches Larian's already released, they already have fixed some of these things, given like a couple companions, better endings and Act 3 and this and that. And they've already promised like, okay, hey, we're going to work on this and like make it the game, you know, you all want it to be. So hmm. um, I do find it interesting. So I guess... 
you know, like, and this is a, maybe a question for you, like, and especially since you're about to be a developer, not a game developer, or I don't know what kind of dev you're going to be, but do you, are you going to be a game developer or an app developer? No, no, unfortunately not. Okay. So <clears throat> what Larian seems to do, and it's worked out for them, which I find interesting, they make like the bulk of the game experience really good, and then they release it. Mm-hmm. And then like the last 30% or whatever, or 40%, is like, well, it's functional, but it's got a lot of rough edges, you know, but it's going to take people a while to get there. Some people will never get there at all, you know, because everyone plays up front and there's like, woohoo, you know, generates all the buzz. This game's amazing, yada, yada. Mm. But then they go back and fix it later. To their credit, they do fix it and then it becomes, you know, super smooth. Mm-hmm. Whereas other games, you know, whatever, very shooters mostly, for for example, um, get released with like big performance problems, even on like super rigs, they're crashing in terrible performance, or maybe there's just like bad controls or there's no remapping or just like a bunch of basic weird stuff is missing. Mm-hmm. Um, or in the case of something like Warhammer Dark Tide, like the game is just missing so many features. It's crazy. People wouldn't complain if they released it as early access, but they released it as here's the game. Here's yeah. the you know, full price, $40 off you go again, double a game, $40 game. Um, so I know perception is part of it, but I wonder if sort of, I don't know what the word is, backloading the problems, shoving them to the end of the game and releasing it is a good, like, is that still okay? You know, I don't know. I mean, in my opinion, if you clearly label something as early access, all good, right? Um, the first while with Baldur's Gate 3, when it was early access, push all the bugs in there that you you know that are gonna be there and work on it throughout and the people who want to be on board early can be so and that can help fund the development and it's all good but i feel like once you hit a release you call 1.0 or release or whatever um i i'm gonna expect a certain level of consistency throughout and if i don't get that i'm honestly gonna be a little bit disappointed but that's because I am the type of person who would prefer waiting for a release and then have a solid product versus playing the early access parts. Right. I, I like being experimental, but I only want to be experimental when I know I'm experimenting. Yeah. Um, if I you know, feel like I'm, I've just come home from a long day, I just want to sit down and relax. I don't want a game that crashes every 10 minutes after launching it, which... Um, when I first played Cyberpunk 2077, I could play for like 30 minutes and then it would just freeze and stop. And then I could right. reboot it and play for 30 minutes again or something. It was infuriating because it always happened. Like I was, <laughs> I just want to relax. I don't want to troubleshoot again. Right. Yeah. I just, yeah. Um, if it's clearly labeled perfect, but when it's not, it's just annoying. Um, I, I really feel that, the early access thing works well as a development model because it gave Larian time uh, and, you know, the, the financial resources to continue development for a longer time to try and polish it. And of course, as you say, there might still be, you know, things that aren't perfect by the end, but I'm okay with like minor patching at the end, but it sounds like it's perhaps still a bit much at this point for Polis Gate 3. I don't know. I've not... Uh, various reports. I've also seen some people say, like, what's everyone talking about? Act 3 is amazing. Yeah. I've had no issues. But I have seen semi-majority kind of complain. People say it's still good. It's just, mm. it's a drop in quality compared right, to the right. rest of the game. You can still finish the game. And even two patches in, apparently quite a few things are fixed. I mean, their patches were huge. Like, here's a thousand bug fixes in patch right. one. Here's like another thousand in patch two. 
And most of them were apparently targeted towards the later parts of the game. Mm-hmm. And they're like, here's some new dialogue and endings for this person that was missing. And mm-hmm. here's a companion that was supposed to be in the game, but all their dialogue was somehow bugged and not working. And now right, it is, right. and, you know, some stuff like that. They've mm-hmm. like pretty quickly got in, um, which I think is fair. Sure. And I mean, but, there's also something to be said about acting quickly on those type of things, because there's a big difference between, you know, shipping something that's, very problematic with bugs and issues like that and then having a release out in four months versus having a release out in i don't know 14 days you know big big yeah yeah they've been really quick and they've also been very vocal and they're Mm. pretty honest like look here's here's you know kind of what's been going on here's what we're planning we're listening to feedback they're really engaged with the community and i think the difference is mostly a matter of well a it's the quality of the game and it's also the quality of the developer like what is their honesty what is their communication so Baldur's gate 3 is an amazing game, objectively speaking. You can dislike RPGs, but it's an incredible sandbox. Um, the graphics, the writing, the music, the audio, the scripting, like everything is just really good and it has an insane amount of freedom mm-hmm. um, in the game. So it's a quality cinematic experience in a traditional, like, very open, freeform CRPG, which typically isn't married together. Yeah. Um, and it's such a grand way. That's why the game is making so many waves and people are so blown away. And like 10 out of 10, game of the year, you know, all over the yeah. place. I mean, something that I find extremely impressive, given how much there seems to be uh, content-wise, is that as far as I've understood it, all dialogue is voiced, right? All of it. Everything. Yeah, that that's wild to me because something like the Pathfinder series that I've mentioned before playing, incredible RPGs as well. And they do have voiced dialogue, but the vast majority of it is just text because there is so much dialogue in a CRPG right. like that. And to have all of that voice must have taken them forever. And there's so I much think, uh, voice think, actor money. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of their early access time was, honestly. And I think they had almost, they had a, like hundreds of voice actors. Yeah. Of course, there's the prominent ones like the narrator and the main companions, but ev- literally everything, every NPC you click on. And if you have speak with animals, every, you know, yeah, frog and wild. cat and cow and talks with different accents and and thoughts. also just the fact that a lot of players are not going to discover the vast majority of dialogue maybe oh, or exactly. maybe not the vast majority but at least like a lot of dialogue that no, you just, yeah there's yeah. huge and what's even crazier is there's enormous sections of the game like 10 20 hours of gameplay that are just like hidden yeah oh now i'm in the underdark and i could spend like 20 hours down here but it's actually pretty hard to find and I have no particular quest to go here. It's just yeah. there's this enormous section of the game. Apparently, some people go by. I've read like, wait, there's like there's like an underground. What are you talking about? You know, I just kept going up the mountain pass and up to the next area. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just like, yeah, the amount of care. I mean, what's what? But what's interesting about Larian is they're at this point. I you know it's safe to say they are a triple game, a game studio. With Divinity one and two, they are more like double A. But then they graduated, you know, been climbing. And even before that, they were making these old indie Divinity RPGs, not original Sin, like Divinity 1, 2, Divinity Dragon, something or the other. They made all these. Ego Draconis. Yeah, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Those were more indie-ish. Um, but, you know, they've earned, they've earned their, their stripes, or whatever you want to call it, you know, because mm-hmm. they're out there in the trenches of development for years and years and years. But what's interesting, they poured their love and passion into it, but they didn't have, you know, a publisher. EA or Activision or whoever being like, well, you got to cut this, you got to release now, yeah. you know? Um, so they're independent, but they seem to have, what, what's cool is they like maintain their vision of the game and they delivered something that's in line with D and D that's in line with Baldur's gate. 
um, that's in line with the kind of game obviously many people want, and it's a huge success. But, but they are also in a rather unique position to be able to do this because, as you say, they've been developing RPGs for a while with the Divinity series, both before and after Original Sin and that. Um, they've you know been able to do the early access thing in part because... Uh, they have, you know, the brand reputation of Baldur's Gate. They have the brand reputation of Dungeons and Dragons. They have their own cloud as Larian Studio behind the right. success of Original Sin. So people are already going to be able to or want to buy into the idea of early access with these people behind the helm and Baldur's Gate, especially, right? Uh, which true. means that yeah. they can get the finance to uh, continue development while it's an early access and. Um, not everyone's going to be able to have that early access model because, you know, you put your game out there as early access, but no one's ever heard of you and no one's ever heard of your game. So you're not going to get media coverage. You're not going to get anyone buying into early access. So there's no point, right? Right. Um, yeah, and, fair. and if you don't Sorry, have yeah. the, the, the reputation yeah. of something like Baldur's Gate, if you do push yourself as early access, then you might get some people buy into that, but then all the interest is gone by the time you release properly. And, everyone's like, well, it was shit. The early access was buggy right. as, as heck. Right? Yeah, so, so it's interesting. I, I agree. So the reason we're talking about this, and I failed to leave with this, I meant to, um, there's a big, you know, internet controversy. Maybe it's died down by now, but it has happened for a couple of weeks. People, you know, various journalists and, uh, you know, gamers were like, okay, th- okay, you know, listen up other AAA devs. You know, this is how you release a game of like, you know, pretty polished again there's like obviously still some bugs and issues but they're minor in comparison like the performance was pretty good for most people the bugs were minimal for most people the you know experience of the game is like so rich and varied and you know you could more or less play how you wanted to play you know so it could be appealed to a wide variety of people and he plays well solo it plays good co-op and all this stuff so people are like look this kind of thing should be the standard for a triple a game that i'm paying 60 dollars for obviously not not obviously in the scope like, oh, here's your 100-hour RPG, but... Well, uh, you say obviously. I think that's actually a large part of the discussion here, that to some people, th- that obviously wasn't in there. <laughs> True. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, people are like, yeah, how can everyone just bust out and make this, you know, epic? Yeah. Everything voiced, you know, freeform RPG. Um, so I think the main argument is, apparently the average life cycle of a AAA game, not life cycle, a development cycle, excuse me, is three to five years, yes. as far as I know. So Larian did take six years. They had three years before early access and three years during early access. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time. And I agree with what you were saying. They had the brand reputation of Baldur's Gate, D&D, and their own rep. That's a lot in their favor. They did get a million pre-orders in early access, I think, within the first one or two months. Like, who else in early access gets that? Like, no, exactly. I don't think anybody. So clearly that a lot in their favor. Um, but not everyone's saying you have to be Larian. People are just saying, AAA devs, please take, like, more time. Like, put more effort into polishing your game. Like, polishing the game experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like, make a cool game that, like, runs fairly well. That has, like, more of a richness of gameplay to it. You know, that's, I think, what gamers are trying to ask for, maybe journalists. But, but uh, like, the first time I heard of all of this deep debate was um, an, uh, actually an indie developer, a small indie developer on uh, Twitter, or X, if we want to go by that <laughs> name now, uh, um, who, who wrote something like, um, understand that this can't be the scope and that everyone can, can you know, do, perform, do, right. um, create. Um, and people were like, I don't know, not attacking, but um, 
let's say demanding uh, things of this single person indie developer uh, <laughs> and his experience and being mean to him in the comment section like uh, saying that he was being anti-consumer for saying that you know you can't expect this of everyone but like as you said there is something to be said about the scope we can expect of things from different parties and of course right. you know um big triple a companies with the billion of billion dollars in the bank like we we can expect things from them we worry we shouldn't sit right. back and just go well you gotta understand that it's a troubled industry when they're ranking in <laughs> millions of dollars for releasing yeah. the next game right uh, but you know not everyone can release something like this and this is right fair i think the yeah the fear of sorry again i'm failing to explain this properly a number of devs, not just one, quite a few, some mm-hmm. higher profile, some just, you know, kind of indie solo guys, gals, whoever, were basically being like, whoa, hold your horses, lower your expectations. Like this shouldn't, I believe several people directly said more or less verbatim, like this shouldn't be the standard. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? This should be the standard. So I think the vision of what the standard is wasn't quite connecting. I think from the developer side, they meant more the scope and scale of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think from the gamer side, they're like, well, we want like more of this polished, rich experience, whether it's big or small, because mm-hmm. you have indie mega hits. And obviously I know in the grand scheme of things, that's small, like your your chance to like make a mega hit as an indie isn't yeah. very high compared to a big studio. Um, but whether it's like Stardew Valley or uh, Terraria, or they always seem to be these like pixelated diggy games, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're still like 10 years later or whatever, they're still selling and mm-hmm. or unturned. It's made by one Canadian guy and it's still in like the top 10 or 20 played on Steam. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so you have your indie mega hits that are just keep going and keep going and keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's not about, I think, being a mega hit. Um, it's just about, putting out a game most people are happy with. They're not like, there's clearly like content, missing features, or it's just some recycled piece of conveyor belt game, cough, Call of Duty cough. Um, And I say that as a Call of Duty fan. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I guess you don't even have to make something new or original. It's just like make a good game. It's kind of like, I don't know, like what's, does a good movie have to be something wildly unique or creative or could they take a very standard template and tropes and just make like a good movie that's fun mm-hmm. and engaging but, or whatever. But it's almost kind of funny because as we mentioned earlier, Starfield is coming out and that's a really big game. And we were talking about how it's less buggy than, you know, the Bethesda standard, <laughs> but the Bethesda standard for like bugs and, and that sort of issues in games has been fairly low, but they've also always been like fairly well received by everyone. Right. Yeah, but that's yeah. almost the opposite of what we're talking about now. That isn't that hasn't been a fairly very high standard in terms of like quality control. It's been a high standard in scope, but right, yeah, it is interesting. And I find different. You could say groups of gamers have different tolerances for different things, mm-hmm. and the RPG crowd means like the crowd who are fans of Bethesda and Larian and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, more the CRP like. RPG, not like action RPG per se, even the old uh, Bioware types. I think they have a lot more tolerance for a bit of jank or a bit of bug because the scope and richness of the game tends to be quite large and Mm -hmm. it can really draw you in and create your own character and wander off into the sunset and do your own wacky quests and, you know, stumble on interesting things. So you, I think you, your tolerance level goes up because the engagement of the game is pretty high. You're like, well, I'm having a great time. And occasionally something pops up where you're like, ugh, this is getting in my way, but then you can more or less quickly move past it. Usually. But like a lot of the complaints, um, 
And to be fair, the games like that are more problematic tend to be first person shooters or action RPGs. Mm-hmm. And I think people's tolerance level is lower. And I'm not saying this is better or worse. It's just, it's also, I think, the kind of the game. They're faster paced. They're mm-hmm. often twitchy, even if it's a solo game like a campaign. And I don't know. There's, there's less, and not saying they have less content in a different way because typically it's right. Not I mean, a, like, like a shooter game often I mean? relies on on a tight yeah. loop where everything works for just a few minutes and then yeah. it can you know ease off and then it has to exactly. work for a few minutes again. Yeah. Um, you're right that like an RPG has typically more breadth in the variety of things they offer, but those things individually are allowed to be a bit more janky because if that thing doesn't work, I don't have to run into that building 70 billion times, you know, when I play my game because it's just a single set piece. In a shooter, right. you're often going to spend a lot of time there and you yeah, want yeah. all the bits to exactly. be more tight. That, yeah, that makes sense. I think there's something like that going on among this sort of like mm-hmm. gamer mood and how things are received and tolerance. And I think some some companies are just a little bit like Bethesda at this point is like grandfathered in. They've been making yeah. games for so long and some of their older games, you know, basically all their games are hits for various people mm-hmm. um, and just such fond memories. I mean, I didn't think much of Oblivion personally. I thought it was eh, though I really like Skyrim. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Starfield's being pretty well received, kind of looping back to them. A couple big outlets gave it a 7 out of 10, mm-hmm. but most other people, like I think it's Metacritic rating is 85, 88. It's like pretty, right. 86. It's pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, people say it's really slow to start. I'm hearing on average it's not good until like 10 to 12 hours in, which to okay. me isn't a great uh, proposition. No. But, you know. Um, like, it, it, it yeah. might be okay if it's like still fun, but not as good as it gets. But if it's a bit of a drag to get to that. Ooh, I have heard I, it's a bit of a drag. Then, so then I would probably turn off before I even got to the good bit, honestly. Well, that's what I'm like. I don't have 10 hours to burn before the game gets like really good. Like, yeah, exactly. I got a lot of games to play. I got a lot of board games to play. I got a lot of video games to play. Yeah. But by all accounts, again, I think people are forgiving it because in in the sense of not like, oh my God, it's so terrible. It has to be forgiven. But like mm. either it's a slow start or some of its j- usual janky combat in comparison to more like smoother modern combat systems mm-hmm. is because the game is so ambitious I think mm-hmm. once again, it's not just about raw scope. That, I don't think that's enough because mm-hmm. you can get over, like you can just start stumbling if you you know you get ahead of yourself. But you know, it is it is a new IP from Bethesda, their first in apparently twenty five years, um, and there's no other game quite like it. Like you, you can't, it's not really comparable even to No Man's Sky, another great like big space game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's something to be said once again. You can engage with so many different things in Starfield whether mm-hmm. it's the main story or side quest, or apparently you can, you know, become a drug kingpin or a smuggler or a pirate, and you can just kind of do all kinds of stuff, yeah. you know, run around, steal sandwiches, whatever, um, you know, or follow the main storyline, which I heard is actually not bad, not amazing, but not uh, like, not do bad. Do you know uh, the, the spaceship you have if you're just like a solo pilot or you have a crew? Uh, I believe you get companions, uh, which you get okay. to invite on your ship later. Right, At least one. I don't know how many. I, I heard maybe up to two or three. I, I really like the idea of being like a captain with a crew and like, you know, the the kind of like Star Trek captain almost. And yeah, managing. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Um, I've heard like the sh- shit, like the, sh- the space combat isn't amazing. But what I have yeah. heard high marks for across the board is like disabling another ship and then boarding it for like close quarters mm. combat fight. Everyone says those are like insanely cool, you know, but like a, a game that I 
imagined would be similar before I started seeing any of what Starfield actually is like is the Outer Worlds because that's like Obsidian making a game sort of like a Fallout Bethesda type of right, game right. with space travel. And like as far as I can see, Starfield definitely is very separate from that. But I still think that there's some aspects that are a bit similar. In, in oh, for sure. There's definitely a bit of like a little Outer Worlds, even a little No Man's Sky in a sense in Starfield. Mm-hmm. But you know, they've created their own look, which I think they call NASA punk. Yeah. Um, you know, it's pretty clean. It's pretty interesting. Um, so a lot of, a lot of, even the reviews who rated it lower, like PC gamer, IGN, both gave it a seven out of 10. Mm. Um, so they said, I think it's their biggest RPG yet, but not their best. Mm. It borrows a little too much from like elder scrolls and fallout, but kind of doesn't meet or exceed either. Mm. Um, but they also said at the at the end of the review, I played for 90 hours and I would happily play 90 more. So it's like, is that really a 7 out of 10 game? You're going to dump 180 hours into happily? I mean, apparently the game's very good. It's mm. just got a few areas. It's not maybe as in-depth or polished. Apparently there's like loading screens constantly, which is weird. That sounds like Bethesda. Uh, I mean, I've heard, yeah. <laughs> did you play, um, I forget if it was, yeah, I think that was Fallout 3 where they had like a submarine where you had to find your dad on that submarine somewhere. And like there were a million doors on that submarine and every single one was like seven second loading screen. Yeah. Apparently the loading screens here are short, like two to three seconds, but there's a lot of them like go in a store, loading screen, enter another room, loading screen, go to your ship, loading screen, travel. That's classic Bethesda. Honestly, they do Um, a lot of their games like that. But it's like just, again, the the appeal of the game, this epic space game that you can follow the main story, which has a mystery. And I have some idea about it, but I don't want to say anything for spoilers. Mm-hmm. But apparently the like either the random content or some of the procedural content is really good and really fun. And mm-hmm. you can pick like the character creations really strong and you can give yourself all these funny traits like gangster or like you have parents. And apparently your parents will literally show up like in random missions and be like, hello. And, that can and happen have, in, the, in the Mass Effect series as well. Right. It's kind of cool. And you, and you have to send them uh, money every month because mm. they're, like, they're in retirement. So there's just like, honestly, you know, I've looked at a couple things at, in Starfield and been like, that doesn't look as cool as I hoped it would be or maybe as in depth. But mm. the, once again, the sum of its parts seems very entertaining for sci-fi right. fans. And yeah. again, and I think it'll be pretty darn successful as a result. And it already is. Again, the Metacritic is great. So, okay, it's not officially out yet because it's still in the early, if you pre-ordered it, you get a, or a right, certain right. version of it, you got a five-day early uh, yeah. access to it or not. It's not early access, but access early, which I'm not fond of this trend. I find it kind of annoying personally um, because it's like, yeah. I want to look at Steam ratings and reviews, but it's not out till the fifth or sixth, you know? So <laughs> I, I'm a bit like mixed on it because like... Um, Often they will ship like a really massive patch once the everyone has access time comes around. And as a result, it is almost like an early access thing, even if it is, you know, like one marketed as a, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, honestly, like if people want to pay for that privilege in, in air quotes of, of getting access <laughs> to something even buggier than what everyone else, then fine. But I'd rather wait and, that massive day one or day five or whatever yeah, patch uh, yeah. be applied. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, um, I think the Starfield one wasn't too bad. I think it was five or 10 extra dollars or maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's just a straight pre-order, I forget. But talking a little bit about Blizzard, Diablo 3, if you wanted, I think, three or four days early, you had to pay 20 extra dollars. Yeah, but as long like, as it 
as oh long as it is just like three, five, whatever days. If people want to pay that, then so what? Yeah, if it, it, it is, yeah, it's true. It is. It's just if it like, becomes a really long time, then it it does become like you're segmenting the community in a way that could, you know, be at the yeah. detriment of pretty much everyone. But three to I five think it was days, three days yeah. for Diablo. But oh, I guess this loops back to the conversation: what people will put up with. And a lot of these games with issues means like a lot of these shooters, action RPGs. I think a lot of the tolerance goes down is because a lot of them have microtransactions, yeah. battle passes all this DLC spam stuff in relation to, again, okay, you going back to, what is it? The horse armor of, I think, Oblivion or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was Oblivion. Know, that no, yeah, Oblivion um, started it. But the way you do it, you know, it's just become, like, almost, like, scummy. And mm-hmm. Blizzard apparently had put the button to buy the pass exactly when you launch, log in. Your button Ooh, was yeah. there, and it, people were buying it accidentally, and they refused to refund them. Then they moved the button late. It's just like, it comes off as scummy, and it's like, you're already yeah. paying for a $70 game with a $20 early access bonus and mm-hmm. a battle pass and, like, $20 armor sets. It's just like, arg. And then in Baldur's Gate 3, it's like, give me $60, here's your game. Yeah, Boom. and I love that. You know, you often hear stories of these uh, AAA development studios going, you know, we need to have microtransactions. We need to increase the price because it's so expensive to produce games. And it is expensive to produce games. That's perfectly accurate. But then, you know, quarterly earnings report comes around and they go, best quarter ever. We set record records, record records (laughs) on profit and everything, right? And you're just like, there's like a dissonance with uh, what you're saying, you know, when you're talking to us and when you're talking to the investors there. And it's like, I don't know. Um, I don't mind games, you know, reaching $70 because inflation has happened throughout the several many years and, and you know, game prices haven't increased since yeah. a long time. But yeah. I'd rather pay those $70 for the game and then that's it. You know, if if you're also asking me, for microtransactions every time I open the client or log into the game or whatever. That's just infuriating. (laughs) Yeah. And I think this is kind of going back to our tolerance conversation. I think this is a lot of it because most of these more actiony orientated games, the shooters, the action RPGs, they tend to have a lot of these microtransactions. Mm -hmm. It's not that some of these other games don't, but the manner and they're presented tends to be a lot more benign, more out of the way, not like in your face, flash screen, click through four pages of the latest Mm-hmm. stuff you could spend your money on and then like you know and i'm just thinking call of duty does this a lot for example mm-hmm. i didn't log in for like a year or two and i had to get through like four screens of like buy this bundle here's yeah, the yeah. Bundle. Here's things. like dude just just let me play the game i don't want to buy stuff if i want to buy stuff i'll go and look to buy stuff mm-hmm. i don't need it like shoved in my face you know um so yeah i don't mind games being 70 dollars either is that a lot of money yes well games are a luxury hobby and there's frankly mm-hmm. a lot of free-to-play stuff there's a lot of cheaper stuff Sales are four times a year. Big sales on Steam are literally quarterly. Not yeah, yeah. Many and, ones and you, where there's also smaller sales every now and then, yeah. Yeah, the, the more targeted, like, here's a strategy thing instead of, like, everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I happily bought Baldur's Gate 3 for $60. I'm like, this game is worth 60 I wouldn't mind paying 70 Push me to 80 okay. But um, mm-hmm. Starfield, it's an enormous game. It's probably worth $70. Could you mm-hmm. pre-order it for, I think, 55 60 Yeah, so if you really wanted the game, you should just pre-order it. But... Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fair. Will they have DLC for Starfield later? Yes, but there'll be more like those mini expansion packs. I remember yeah, going yeah. back to Fallout Three. The the expand the DLC was pretty good. I think yeah, no, I, I'd I'd love to pay for a proper expansion pack, a proper DLC. That's yeah. perfectly good. Um, yeah. As you say, with like Fallout, they had great DLC. There's also um, 
back in the day with the Morrowind expansion packs. They were great. And Oblivion did have the horse armor thing, but they also had Shivering Isles, and that was fantastic yeah. as well. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, Skyrim had pretty great DLC. So again, the manner in which you do it, again, it's all called DLC now, but gamers mostly just want to have fun, and if they like your game, they're going to want to keep engaging with it, but they'd rather more or less engage with it in a more meaningful, chunky way, not like mm-hmm. here's your $1 thingy you, you clicked on or mm-hmm. $10, you know, fancy sparkly armor set or whatever in, in general i also find that like the worst microtransactions are the ones where you can buy the same thing multiple times you know like a consumable that gives you an xp boost for seven oh hours God. Oh those God, are yeah. horrible because they're not meaningful content and they're often made in such a way that the game is designed around being best when you have it and then when you don't have it the, the actual gameplay experience is meant to be a drag or whatever, such that you're encouraged to buy it and it just hurts the design overall. Where if you buy an expansion pack that just gives you more content, then, you know, that's fine because it's just exactly. more stuff. Yeah, and you have to think about, like, just, yeah, just imagine Baldur's Gate 3 from, you know, Blizzard or something, and it'd be, yeah, like, here's your XP and gold boost. And mm-hmm. it would just be like, I mean, aren't you supposed to be balancing this game around a certain curve and scale, yeah. more or less? Obviously, people will level or different power levels based on maybe certain content or completing quests to give more XP or something. But that's all part of the experience, also. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I complete this quest totally differently, or I hit this, or I found that, and this, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's part of the fun. And, and that like give and take of you know sometimes a battle is going to be really difficult because you're not as high level as the, it might be balanced for, but then you feel great when you f- f- defeat the bad guy anyway. And you're like, I'm yeah, super powerful. Or, exactly. And then, you know, you get super strong and you take on an easy fight and you're like, I've improved so much as a character. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I did notice that in Baldur's Gate three, cause I did a co-op session for a bit. It fell apart naturally as D and D does. You start and then, yeah, yeah. But we had a great, like, you know, 10, 12 hours. And we ran into like a goblin camp, like when we were level three, and it was like pretty tough. And then mm-hmm. in my solo game, it came back when I was level five, and I was just like, "Wah ha ha ha!" And yeah, just, but like, it feels great to have both sides of that. It does. Right? It was. It was actually really entertaining because I'm like, mm-hmm. "Oh man, I remember this used to be really hard." And then I, I yeah. don't know, I cast lightning bolt and killed like twelve goblins with you know a level three spell or whatever, and it's just yeah. like, "Wah ha ha ha!" My fighters running around like chopping everyone up because you know it just. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think that's, you know, obviously it's a nuanced, complicated thing. You know, game development is expensive. Should developers be paid? If they put out a good game, they should. If you put out a crappy game at $60, well, I don't want to pay it. Well, I mean, um, if, if there's a big studio behind it, the actual yeah. developers should be paid no matter what. Yes, but... that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like no one's owned sales just because you put out the game. That's all I meant to say. Right, yeah, yeah. And no one's saying they are. I'm just, mm-hmm. my brain is weird right now. Um so there's definitely interesting sides to the argument and both developers should take the right message and gamers should take the right message. And, you know, people mm-hmm. just want to, you know, such the guy you mentioned and others, I, I forget some names right now, but there's been some high profile devs also commenting on this thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just meat in the middle. Like devs don't want gamers, everyone to expect the scope and skill of Baldur's Gate 3. Gamers just want devs, AAA devs in particular, to put more effort into just delivering a better game and less mm-hmm. like, microtransaction fluff or rushing the game out early when it needs like another year of polish or whatever that's what gamers want there's also something to be said about shorter more condensed experiences because you know Baldur's Gate had success with a massive experience that was still fairly tight and well polished but a lot of the time I'd rather have 
an excellent three hours than a mediocre five hours or, you know, expand that to almost any scale you want. Of course, there's right. some limit, you know, give me a two hour or two minute game and it might be a bit excessively <laughs> short, right? But right. Um, within reason, I'd, yeah, I'd rather take, take a shorter, better experience than a longer, worse one. Um, I agree. I also agree with that. Um, what I've been impressed with, I'm just looking at my, um, I'm trying to look at some of my, my hours here and the games I've been playing recently. Mm-hmm. Oh, does it not show here? Because this is on my Mac side. I'm looking at stuff I've played on PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, here we go. I put 22 hours into Remnant 2, mm-hmm. which is like a gun-based Souls-like game. Honestly, I only bought it because a buddy, I old buddy's like, let's play it. I bought it, and then he abandoned me like a bum. But yeah. we did play through like two-thirds of the game. And it's, and it's a pretty good game, but it's kind of the game that I don't really enjoy co- solo, but it's really fun co-op, one of those things. Mm-hmm. Very interesting game, though. Pretty impressive. I will finish it maybe this weekend. 20-odd um, hours. I wouldn't, like, a couple more hours into the game is kind of my max, five hours maybe. Mm-hmm. But when, but talking about Baldur's Gate 3, how much how much have I played it? I don't think. Two crazy amount. Baldur's Gate 3. Here we go. I have played it 38 and a half hours. And I've right. been engaged like every second of that, yeah. you know, and it's just like, yeah, but really that's the important part, right? As long as it can keep you engaged and having fun that, you know, it can keep going, but yeah. everything has, you know, its limits and uh, yeah, but I, I definitely don't want, this is why I canceled my Starfield pre-order. Cause I'm like, I don't want multiple like hundred hour games in my same yeah time i want like one big game and a bunch of like bite-sized ones like but also if starfield takes like those 10 hours before it gets really good cut them like make it better immediately right yeah people have said it's just kind of a weirdly like compared to the more exciting intros of fallout and skyrim and so on apparently the intro is like pretty generic and boring and doesn't really give you much direction in short order, blah, blah, some things happen. You get a ship and you're just mm-hmm. like, here you go. And you're not given any particular quest or kind of like shove into the universe. Mm-hmm. So people just, you know, some people stumble into the more exciting stuff right away. Other people just miss it because they're like, well, I don't know where to go. And apparently there's no maps on planets or something weird. And everyone's huh. losing their minds because you can't save things. And even if you go to a planet you've been to, you can't like market anywhere you just have to remember there's some like couple weird things there where it's like that place is really cool i want to go back later people are like well better write it down on a notebook or something because you won't find it (laughs) i I wonder if that's because of the way they like mix procedural generation and fixed architecture like maybe if it's because they can they don't like have a way of generating procedural maps or something and they can only do the maps that are pre-made or something i don't know funny funny on things but you know it's the kind of game I know if I played it right now, I'd probably have fun, though maybe you have to push, you know, maybe read some tips and tricks. Go here first to have the best time or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the kind of game I'd rather wait six to 12 months, get a ton of patches in, get a bunch of cool mods, quality of life stuff from yeah, the dev yeah. or the modders, you know, and then, then you know, I'll be done Baldur's Gate 3 by then, then, then poke at it. Hell, yeah. heck, maybe we'd have a Mac port, unlikely, but, you know, you can dream. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the, the I think that's kind of the... A reasonable discussion on the balance thing. Gamers shouldn't be too unreasonable, and devs should AAA devs, particularly not mm-hmm. the smaller people. They should, if possible, just put more polish into their game mm-hmm. or less microtransactions or whatever. People don't. Again, it's like people don't mind mic- microtransactions if the game is really good, but when the game's well, you know, not so good, it depends on the style of microtransaction. 
it does. I would I would always mind if it is the type of XP boosting thing we talked about yes, earlier. That's true. But you know, if if it's meaningful content, then yeah. Right. You know, it goes back to um, let's just say it's purely cosmetic. Um, right. and this goes back a little bit to Dark Tide as well, the 40k game, and you know, kind of just now releasing as it should. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were spending a bunch of time on cosmetics in the mm-hmm. cosmetic shop. To be fair, a lot of them were pretty cool, though some weren't. But people are like, guys, your game is clearly not finished, missing tons of content. All your updates are about cosmetics. Like, mm-hmm. we don't care about this. Like, we're getting angry at you because you're spending your time on cosmetics instead of updating the game as you should. So then they even put out a post like, okay, we're sorry. We're pausing development on cosmetics for now. So it's like, you have to like, you know, but of course they put out more cosmetics, maybe more people buy them to make more money. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, like... Uh, the better um, kind of what I'm trying to say is the better state your game releases in, the more tolerance people will have for this like cosmetic stuff kind of. I, I agree with that. But there's also an aspect, again, going back to what we talked about, where Larian is pretty open about the communication as a developer. I think uh, Dark Tide, as you talked about, might have benefited from a better communication there as well. Because if they set in advance to their audience, um, because of the way the teams are structured or something, they have artists who can contribute with making cosmetics who might not be able to contribute to the other aspects of game development currently, right, Uh, that are missing from the game. Then the artists are working on these cosmetic aspects, but the rest of us are still, like, at work trying to finish the rest of the game. So it's not hurting the rest of the development that these cosmetics are being released. I think they even tried to say something like that, but they said it way too late. Yeah, you need to say that in advance, right? And then, Yeah. yeah. And they did eventually hire some sort of dedicated community manager. So it's true. You know, English isn't their first language. There's some sort of heavy European studio. Um, and they have had no, like notoriously um, among their community, like janky communication. But when your game's incomplete, you, you can't have bad communication. You need like really clear, honest communication and people are more pacified and yeah. more tolerant. So, definitely, you know, definitely. yeah, but ultimately the success of Baldur's Gate 3 and its ensuing discussion, dialogue, controversy, whatever you want to call it, I think is largely mostly healthy for everyone. Mm-hmm. Barring, of course, the people just like hating on people for no reason or whatever. Or totally misunderstanding stuff. But speaking of that, I also want to point out that you know we've we've been saying that you know you you can set expectations for the AAA developers and stuff. I also wanted to just mention that at least in my opinion, you know the the responsibility here for making sure that the polish is there, the quality control, um, the time management, all these aspects, it, it lies with the management in in the AAA studios, not you know the grunt workers who are just have, trying to develop the game as best they can, because they're not responsible for those decisions anyway, right? So right, yeah, yeah. The animators, the designers, the writers, whoever. Yeah, it's it's true, and it's interesting. Um, we'll wrap this up soon, but just to note, I think uh, I forget his name. There's a journalist who does a lot of these like inside scoop stuff. I forget his name. It's some guy. Um, and I think he did like a real deep dive on Anthem and Bioware. Mm-hmm. And yeah, apparently there was just like horrendous mismanagement, mm-hmm. which is why the title was like took so long and they never had clear ideas and people were like wasting time and conflicting visions. And that's why the game is kind of like two games smushed together because it was just like, you know, but is the guy making the super cool, you know, mech animations or the awesome gun sounds like the blame? No, like there's a lot of great stuff in the game. And yep. And I appreciate that even from a big studio, like, okay, this game isn't everything it can be, but I can see the, like the love and passion, like on display in certain areas, at least. Yeah, definitely. 
and like, oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it's just like, dang, it didn't, you know, I mean, that's life, right? Not everything lives up to its potential or whatever. And some things are just, just a bad idea. They shouldn't have happened. That's also part of life. But um, a creative space, people make bad music, people make bad movies. I don't know mm-hmm. about like paintings or whatever, but um, <laughs> I'm sure there's also people who don't make the best paintings. <laughs> probably, probably. But that's like, it's such a weird subjective world where yeah, like, but, but all of this is subjective to some degree, right? Right. It is, it is. Um, but, you know, ga- I think gaming is entering a pretty interesting space with technology, with, um, you know, um, cre- cert- I don't know if they're creativity, but like just general development. There's a yeah. lot, I have a lot of games I'm excited for, both indie and AAA that are on my wish list. There's a lot of great games have come out, are coming out. Some of these are coming to Mac, some aren't. Um, some of my favorite games have passed by or series previously, Company Heroes 3. Uh, I used hmm. to be a big fan of 1 and 2. I dropped it. Uh, they used to be a Mac, didn't they? Or am I misremembering yeah. that? No, Farrell did the 1 and 2 port, or at least okay. the number 2 port. But I the third one isn't, right? No, okay. probably because it had a really terrible release, and Farrell yeah, okay. was eyeing it, but I was like, whoops. Mm. Um, what else? Um, what else did I pass by? That was big. I can't remember. I lost my train of thought. But there's a couple games where I'm like, oh, Diablo 4. I used to be mm. a huge Diablo 1, 2, and 3 fan, but I, I guess a little of it was I was kind of tired of Mm. action rpgs i played the beta or whatever diablo 4 and it was pretty good but i'm like i'm not playing paying 70 dollars for this yeah i'd pay like 20 or 30 because i only want to play the sorcerer not anyone else and it's like why pay max price for like one fifth of a game so to speak yeah as in one out of five character classes um i just wanted wanted something different i guess um yeah so in one sense i'm glad not every game is like some mega hicks and i'd want to play everything <laughs> that's just me um yeah but not that I want any game to fail, you know, yeah. everyone, you know, game devs are out there. No one, no one makes a bad game intentionally. Of course. Even, not, the, no. even the games that come out that are sort of objectively not very good or even bad or widely like criticized, like um, Redfall from Arcane, you know, I'm sure those guys weren't like, we're going to make like the worst reviewed game on Steam ever. That's our goal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, they obviously had some idea of a game and just, they failed, unfortunately, kind of across the board. Yeah, you yeah. know that game was on my radar. I almost pre-ordered it, and I'm like, I'd better wait. Thankfully, I did. Um, Dead Island Two, though, by all accounts, that game's pretty good, actually. Cons- mm. All things considered, it's like ten year dev time or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, I so I passed by a lot. One, of- I played the first Dead Island co-op with my brother. That was a pretty good time. But- yeah, yeah, I had a had a good time with that. Mm. Um, so it's just it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> More and more, kind of switching slightly, we'll wrap this up, switching a little bit more to engine talk because this is also more your area. Oh, going back to Cyberpunk, this is part of the discussion. Cyberpunk also launched in a... uh, So Cyberpunk's also a unique case study, kind of like Baldur's Gate 3's unique case study. Cyberpunk's issue wasn't that it was a bad game. It's that it was overhyped and it was, what do you call it, um... Falsely advertised. Well, it was added. also fairly unstable at launch. Um, it was. I think they fixed the stability like reasonably quickly, but they did. Um, but like very yeah. first release uh, version, as I it mentioned was. earlier on the show, true. like it it froze every you know. I think mine minutes. crashed every sixty to ninety minutes. I recall yeah. playing. Um, but I mean, that game had like ten million pre-orders or something absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. You know, so like again, the scale of like hype and expectation around it. And there's the occasional odd person being like, I played it at launch. It was fine. It was great. But once again, now with the 2.0 release coming up and again in a couple of weeks, like this is the game that was supposed to be. 
but they also had like um when that uh, netflix show edge runners uh, came out they they had like massive spike back up in popularity in the player base so that like did wonders to reignite uh the the momentum they had right yeah um and i'm not like they did a lot of work to patch up the game and make it run better and stuff but i'm not sure it would have been as appreciated if not for the success of edge runners bringing people back to try it again and seeing all the improvements I think it. I think they matched or even exceeded their launch day numbers. Or yeah, something. yeah, they they, it was they like exceeded. Bonkers. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, yeah, it was pretty wild. So it's true. Some of these success or like mixed success stories have more than your average game going on with it. Whether it's adjacent properties or again talking about Larry and like mm-hmm. um, Baldur's Gate, name of Baldur's Gate, the D and D reputation and so on. Because tabletop D and D is enormously popular and adjacent systems and everything. Yeah. Um, so it's true. Not everyone has that. Or again, uh, CG projects with the goodwill of like The Witcher Three, which earned them like basically global <laughs> acclaim and credit, and people still credit. Like, mm-hmm. there's still some cyberpunk haters, but like, still The Witcher Three. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, dang, yeah. that game's like eight, nine years old by now, but yeah, people definitely. are still like true Witcher. But of course, they're making more, more Witcher games, more cyberpunk games, but mm-hmm. they're making them on Unreal Engine Five. Mm. Um, they're switching over completely. So I almost wonder, again, like should Bethesda use Unreal Engine? Is it too not good enough for not good, not suitable for the kind of games they make? I don't know. You know, um, I think Unreal Engine is versatile enough that it could be suitable for almost anything. Especially um, UE5, I guess by now. Yeah, uh, the problem with Bethesda is that obviously there's like the sunk cost fallacy of they poured a lot of resources into their own tooling, but then there's also the fact of um, you know, uh, sk- like employees' skills. Like they have a lot of employees who are trained on their existing internal tooling and stuff. Right. Uh, and of course, you know, all of these people are, are talented and skilled probably, and they can, you know, learn other tooling, but they're competent with this tooling. It's what all of their uh, internal uh, structure and, and processes are based right, around. Right, right. That makes so sense. So I think it's it's just too big a switch. Um, I mean, it's possible. It is definitely possible. Um, but I'm also not sure they are interested in relinquishing control. Um because as soon as you like t- take your engine that all your games run off um, and make that a service you're getting from someone else, you do lose control, right? I- I- I'm pretty sure like they can ed- edit the source code of the Unreal Engine if they if they use that, so they have still have sort of that control. But it's not an internal project; they can't choose the future direction of it, and they don't necessarily have. Um, the same, you know, knowledge base of the code base as a whole. Um, so I don't know. It, it might be better for them to just try and fix up what they have if they have the resources for that. But I don't know. It's hard yeah. to say. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, what um, I think what's it? I think Bioware is still using Frostbite Engine. Um, mm. That was part of the issues behind Anthem. What you just said is they had to learn a new engine while making the game. Yeah. And that was apparently a big struggle for them. They didn't have like the right training or resources or something as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see that definitely being an issue, especially, I don't know how many people at Bethesda. I imagine it's a large amount of people. Mm-hmm. It means like working on within the engine tools. I don't mean like marketers and yeah, yeah, those yeah. kinds of people. Um, yeah, no, no small ask to switch. Mm. Um, what is it? Uh, the Cyberpunk guys, CD Projekt said, well, we're not making another Cyberpunk expansion because we're switching engines and we can't we can't spend our time on both. Like, 
keeping the same engine, making new content, like a big new content, and concurrently like learning the new systems for the new games. So they're just yeah. like, here's a big expansion, your big patch. See you later until the next games. Will you? Yeah, you know. with, with how big like a game engine is, it's it's a lot of things to change over and how you do things um, process wise, but also like you know, obviously a lot of your skills are transferable, but there's also just a lot of new stuff to get familiar with and, and things just work differently. And, um, you know, you, you can import models and textures probably pretty similarly, but then there's things like how the code base interacts with it. And when you, especially I think when you're performance optimizing and things like that, and the kind of bugs that can occur and stuff, it's a lot to deal with. Right. Yeah, for sure. All right, great comments. Um, that about wraps it up for this. I think we covered a lot of interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure when our next show will be due to scheduling, but um, well, I mean, I, I think no matter what, our next show is going to be uh, after or around the iPhone 15 event. So there's going to be fair. some information from that that we can discuss. That's true. Yeah, after that, and then again, the the October event will probably be our next milestone. Yeah, and I'm hoping for more. Um, not only some of the games we've mentioned, like maybe they'll show off Lies of P next month and so on. Mm-hmm. Not and so on. Just that's it, I guess. But I'm hoping there'll be more games teased, kind of like how they had teased Resident Evil 8 and No Man's Sky and Good Lord Feral. I don't know what Feral's doing with Grid Legends. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't expect the, any any Mac game teasing until maybe the October event. But I wouldn't expect yeah, anything for September. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. hey, you're right with Grid Legends. That's been <laughs> announced for a long time now. Oh, what are they doing? It's announced like a year ago or something. Well, more than uh, a year. It was a dub dub last year. So that's true. Oh my goodness. June? Yeah. Something. Yeah. It's 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 a while. I'm like, oh man, poor Feral. Anyway, yeah, should be some cool stuff coming down the pipe. So mm-hmm. thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.